Romans chapter 13. We'll be looking at this passage today. Before we get into it, uh, let me ask you something. Well, let me let me let me give it a little story real quick. Most parents read a little story. Most parents would have second thoughts leaving their child alone with the hulking and heavily tattooed Larry Lawton. After all, he used to be one of America's most notorious jewel thieves. At one point, he was on top of the FBI's most wanted list. However, the Lawton of today has entirely focused himself on another mission. The Lawton of today has entirely focused himself on another mission, to use his own experience in educating and saving young people from a life of crime and imprisonment. Lawton attributed this incredible turnaround to one moment during his 12 years in a federal prison. One of his newfound friends committed suicide in his cell, and Lawton, who was in solitary confinement at the time, he felt helpless to save him. Could you imagine? After Lawton got out, he established his program, named Lawton 911 to help at risk at risk youth from committing the same mistakes he did Lawton's sincere efforts have not gone unnoticed he was recently designated an honorary police officer by the local police the first such ex-convict in the United States to receive the honor let me ask you something did Larry Lawton pay his debt to society We're familiar with that term. He paid his debt to society. Someone paid their debt to society. What would that mean? What do you think that would mean? It would mean that and infer that some individual committed a crime. He broke the law of the land, whichever land he is a part of. He was caught, he was charged, he was convicted, and then he completed his sentence, whether he was incarcerated or simply just had to pay a fine, such as if you were to break the speed limit, you were caught. How many of you have ever been caught? Don't do that. You don't want to raise your hand. (laughs) I'd have to raise both hands and both feet, and he wouldn't want to see that. You got a ticket. You've been caught. You've been charged, you've been convicted, if you will, and, 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 then, and then you have to pay a fine or you've got to go to court or whatever, you, you've got to pay, but after you've done that, you've paid your debt to society. Until you do that, or if you refuse to do that, what ends up happening? Every time a police officer drives up behind you, you get nervous, right? Why? Because you've never paid your debt to society. You haven't paid your debt to society. But once you complete, or once that person who has committed a crime, convicted, charged, convicted, completed his sentence, what the, what the, what the court deemed necessary, his charge would, his sentence would be, we would consider, as a people in this nation at least, that he paid his debt to society. Does this man owe Does man owe, not just this man, but does man owe, and that includes you in a generic sense, does man owe a debt to society? In other words, do you and I, as just a human being, owe a debt to society? Let's take it even a little bit further up the the, the chart there. If you're a Christian in this room here, do you owe a debt to society? Well, our passage today, Paul will talk about that. He says in chapter 13 of Romans, verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The word owe there is a word in the Greek which is ophelo, ophelo. And that literally means to be indebted. To be indebted. Paul says... As a Christ follower, Christian, in the most purest sense, we're told that we're to owe no one anything. You know, you 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 know, you get a ticket, pay it. You borrow, you know, 
something from your neighbor, give it back. Um, this was a part that I could say to Kevin, and I've been jawing him since I came over here in 1996, that, that he has a book of mine that I gave him over in Fort Lauderdale when we were over there. It's the third volume of J. Vernon McGee's uh, commentaries, and, and, and he says, I have never had it. And so every time I go over to his house, I go to his bookcase and I start looking through his bookcases. Thinking, you're going to pull it out one of these days. I've already since got one. I've already got one to replace it. And I'm not so sure that he has, that he's the one who borrow, borrowed it from me. But uh, it's no longer there. And I actually have it all digitally now on my computer, so it's not a big deal. But it's still something that I have fun with. I go and start looking at his book and, and bookcases. And when I start, he always says the same thing. It's not there. I didn't. You nev- I never borrowed that book, you know. Well, I just think so, you know. And so we've been jawing at each other for that and just toying around with that for many years. But if you borrow something, give it back. If you owe somebody, pay it. Don't try to find a way out of it. Don't, don't, don't get out of it by, by trying to deceive and, and, and steal or, or anything. Paul says, as a Christian... Pay off your debt. Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. Owe no one anything. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. My wife and I are trying to, you know, get out of debt, you know, complete debt, you know, mortgage and everything. We're trying to get out of every kind of debt. We were there one time in life and then we thought we wanted to put some stuff in the house and, you know, we paid some money for, you know, to rehab our house and put a pool in and so on and so forth. And we went in debt and we're saying, ah, we like the pool, we love our house, but the thing is is that it put us in debt to do it and we desperately want to be out of debt. Love not the world nor the things thereof. Thank you. And so here's the thing, guys. Owe no one anything. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. As a Christ follower, a Christian, the most purest sense, uh, in the most purest sense, we're told that we owe society. As a Christian, we know that when we surrendered our lives to Christ, we stopped living for others. And we began to live for the purpose of Christ, or at least that's how it's supposed to work. As a Christian, we know that that we were once the property of Satan. Turn left, or I'm sorry, turn right with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Kevin had you turn there. It's just, I don't know, it's about, just about a sixteenth of an inch, an eighth of an inch of pages to your right. In Ephesians chapter 2, Pastor Kevin talked about this last week. For those of you who are sitting here and you struggle with the, my last statement, we were once the property of Satan. You might reject that. You might go, I was never the property of Satan. Well, according to the word of God, you're a property of either God or you're the property of Satan. Well, I've always been the property of God. Well, until you became a Christian. If you're a Christian, yes, you are a property of God. But before you became a Christian, you were the property of Satan. Well, I didn't, you know, sacrifice animals and drink blood and all that kind of stuff. I didn't. I wasn't weird. I wasn't a devil worshiper. No, but you belonged to him. And he was your God. Oh, I never bowed down to him. But until you had Christ in your life, you were serving someone. Until you served Christ, you served someone. From the infamous, you know, American philosopher, folk philosopher. You all got to serve somebody. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you know you got to serve somebody. For those of you who are young, that's Bob Dylan. He, Bob Dylan, he, he said it pretty well. You, you are going to serve someone. You're going to serve Satan or you're going to serve God. It's going to be one of the two. Paul, he got that line. He got that understanding from someone like Paul, where in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he says, And he's talking to the Christians there in Ephesus, in the church there in Ephesus. And he says, guys, you, he, God, made alive. You who were 
dead in your trespasses and sin. You were in past tense, dead in your trespasses and sins. He made alive you who in which, verse 2, you once walked according to the course of this world. If you're a circler in your Bible, which I would encourage everyone that names Calvary Chapel, Christian Fellowship, their home church, to be a writer in your Bible. If you think that God would be upset with you by defacing his Bible, you're wrong. God wants you to be a studier of the word of God. And if by circling and writing notes to remind you of some of the things that God has shown you in his word uh, is going to help you grow and and go back 10 years from now, you're going to go back and you're going to look at this passage. You're going to circle this word. You're going to write a little, what I do is I circle a word, I put a little, uh, a line out to a little bare space that I can write something in there, and I write whatever my note might be. On this particular word, course, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, that word course, I have circled in a little line out there, in a little blank space out there, I wrote the word weather vane. Because that's what the word literally means. In the Greek, it literally means a weather vane. And now what is a weather vane? A weather vane is something that we see on barns, right? A lot of barns. Or or a weather vane is something we see on the side of runways if you're a pilot. They call it a wind sock maybe. Or a a wind tee. What happens is that the wind sock, the wind tee, or the weather vane, what it does is when the when the weather is when the wind is blowing in a certain way, what happens is that the weather vane will will point to which way the weather or where the, where the, the wind is coming. And so when you're up in the sky, as an, as a pilot, as a form, well, I'm not a former pilot. It's like a once a pilot, always a pilot. But as a pilot, if you're flying into an unknown airport and it's an uncontrolled airport, and you're going, well, I wonder what the wind is doing on the ground. Most often, on an airport that has really any airport airplanes on it, you can look down and they'll have this big neon orange, day-glow orange uh, windsock down there. And what this windsock does is you fly over the airport, and as you look down, you'll see that there's a, a, a kind of, it's a funnel kind of a thing, and they come in different shapes and sizes, but you can always see you have a funnel and basically what will happen is that this funnel will be like here and then it will go into a point. And wherever that thing is pointing, it's telling you, hey, this is the way that the wind is blowing. And so what you can do is you can look at which way the wind is blowing and then you can land on whichever runway is best for you to land into the wind. Because in an airplane, you want to land into the wind. Because I don't want to give you an airplane lesson, but when you're in the air, if the wind is doing say 50 miles an hour this way and you're coming in at 50 miles an hour, well, you're actually going over the ground at 100 miles an hour because your airplane's going through the air at 50 miles an hour. The air is going 50 miles an hour. The wind is going 50 miles an hour. And so you're going 100 miles an hour over the, over the, the, the runway, right? Or over the ground. So let's turn that around and come in on the opposite runway. And so instead of landing at 100 miles an hour, you turn around and you come in and land on the other side of the runway actually have to increase your speed to 60 miles an hour because you got to actually move because if you're doing 50 miles an hour you got a 50 mile an hour headwind you're just sitting there watching plants grow and some airplanes can do that my dad spent about three hours in an airplane one time and it's an old tri-pacer flying out of redlands california to go to palm springs he tried to get to palm springs but he was going through this pass called the banning pass out in california some of you guys might know that but as he was flying out there's about 4500 feet he's flying he sat there and he got into the pass and the wind was so strong his tri-pacer only really did about 90 miles an hour and the wind was so strong coming through that pass he sat there and he sat there for about two and a half to three hours before he finally said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to run out of gas. And so he had to turn around and go back to Redlands Airport because he couldn't go. He was just sitting there and he was watching trucks on the road just going, and it's, isn't that wild? It's like a helicopter, but you're not in a helicopter. And so here's the thing. When you land into the wind, you're, you're going much slower over the ground. The ground speed is not, you're just, you're just basically, you're, you're touching down. So it's not something that's racing at you. So you want to land into the wind as an airplane. Well, here's the thing. The idea is 
a weather vane is what it's saying here. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the weather vane of this world. What you did is you went with the flow. That's what Paul's saying. What, there was a day in your life where you, you followed the flow of the world. That's what you did. If the world went this way, so did you. If the world said, we accept this, so did you. If the world says, we reject that, so did you. And Paul says, you're not thinking on your own. You weren't thinking on your own. You were doing what the world did. You entered yourself and engaged yourself in the things that the world found as popular, regardless of whether they were appropriate before the eyes of the Lord or inappropriate. It didn't matter as long as you were... uh, in concert with the world and the world wasn't coming down on you, you felt that it was fine because everyone else is doing it. How many times have we heard that? As a parent, you hear that a lot, don't you? Everyone else was doing it. And every parent says the same thing. If all of your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off the same bridge? And then the smart aleck kid would say, yeah. yeah. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I would. All of my friends are gone, so why not me? <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm just joking. We haven't had that conversation. But... Have we? I don't know. But here's the thing. (laughs) Going according to the weather vane or the course of this world. It says, you as a Christian, this is how you used to act. Now, as we're reading this passage here, and you're you're saying, well, wait a minute. I'm kind of doing that right now. Well, then you need to really reevaluate some of the decisions you're making in life, right? We have to really kind of look at, at our own life when we look at scripture and we see wait a minute if it's saying that we once walked according to the course of this world according to the weather vane of this world if if that's who I am now if what the world is saying I'm I'm embracing what the world is saying and I know that Christians and I know the Bible actually is in contradiction to what some of the things that the world is saying but I want to go with the world a little bit more because I think they have a, a better argument I want to be more accepted in the world than I am. You know, I think God will forgive me for not falling into the literal sense of the word because I've heard the world say that it's so hard to understand the true interpretation of the Bible. So therefore, I'm just going to go with the world because it's easier to do it that way and I make less waves. If that's you, you really need to take a serious and strong look at your life and say, hey, am I really following Christ? Have you really counted the cost? Because to be a Christian, in today's day and age, it's tough, but it's only getting tougher. It's only getting tougher. You're going to have to be, you're, you're going to be challenged in your faith. Paul says, God made you alive. You once were dead in your trespasses and sin. And as a Christian, as we just took communion, you go, wow, Christ saved me from my trespasses and sins, all of the bad that I've ever done. The Bible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And so what Paul's saying is everything that you used to be, you are no longer in if you are in Christ because Christ has set you free. He has washed the sin out of your life and you're brand new. Everything is brand new and clean. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. Jesus, or God saying in the book of Isaiah, come to me, come and let us reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, yet they shall be as white as snow. It's the same concept. He's saying, come to me and I'll take the redness of your sin. I'll take the stain of your sin and I'll wash it as white as snow. I'll make you clean. But reason with me, don't reason with the world. Reason with me, that's the understanding that that God is saying through Isaiah. God is not a different God in the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. It's the same God. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and even forever. He doesn't change. God is immutable. The word immutable means he does not change. I change not. And so God is the same. He's saying, come to me and the sin that you have, I'll wash it clean if you reason with me, if you follow me, if you do what I'm calling you to do. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2. He made you alive. You who were once dead in your trespasses and sin. 
He actually raised you to life because he washed away the stain of your sin. The character of your life, you used to walk according to the weather vane of the world. You don't do that anymore. You don't do that anymore. You once walked according, as he goes on in verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air. You go, well, who is that? Well, he goes on and he, he is explaining it even further. It's the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Again, if you're a circler, and I hope you are, you can circle the word works, who now works in the sons of disobedience. That word works literally means energizes. And so you once walked according to the weather vane of this world. You once were energized by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so as we look at this verse, what we see is that Paul is saying that the spirit who now works in the sons of, diso- of, in the sons of disobedience He energizes them. He's saying, you used to be them, but he still is working in the sons of disobedience. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Satan. You and I, before we came to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Kevin did a very good job of this last week as he just even touched on this, but here's the thing. He says, you used to be this. Among, verse, he says, you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, according to the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's who you used to walk according to. Among whom all, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Paul includes himself before he came to Christ. This is who he was. And then he incorporates you and I, he says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves according to the lust of our flesh. What does the word lust mean? The word lust means covet. I want something that's not mine. Or I want something that is forbidden to me. And I desire it greatly in my being. And and so he says, we all want, we all once conducted ourselves in the in the covetousness or in the wants of in the desires of our flesh and then we would fulfill the desires of our flesh and of our mind and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others and so what he's saying here is that this is who you used to be if you're in here and as a christian this is who you used to be so you used to be if this is who you are today, there's something wrong. If you're a Christian today and this, is, this paints your picture, if this is who you are today, there's something wrong with your Christianity. There's something wrong with your spiritual life. And as, I'm not saying that we will not slip and we will not fall. I'm not saying that we will, be sinless, we will live in sinless perfection. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that we're not characterized and we do not practice those things. We don't live in those things. We don't sit there and pull up pornography on the internet and sit there and watch it and, and, and be involved in it and you sit there and you look at it and then you turn it off and go, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, but by the way, uh, I'm going to go back on right now because, man, I mean, I, I know that there's something there that I really wanted. I forgot that I forgot to look at. And so you go back and you start looking. Here's the thing. I remember a pastor of mine over in Fort Lauderdale used to say, hey, Grace is for falling. Grace is not for jumping. I shared that with, uh, with somebody this week. Grace is for falling. Grace isn't for jumping. We don't just sit here and just presume upon God's grace so that we can go out there and just continue in sin that grace may abound. We don't do that. We, we don't just continue in sin. We don't just practice in sin. Paul goes on and in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. He says this, and I'm, don't, don't, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read it very quickly because I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. He says, well, the works of the flesh are evident. 
And I want you to listen to what he says here. You can jot this note down. It's, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, 20 and 21. I want you to hear this, and I want you to ask, and, and right now, I don't want you to do anything else, but I want you to just sit there in your own seat quietly, and I want you to ask yourself, Does this, is this representative of me? Is anything in this of me? Is this what I am characterized by? Is this something that I practice in at all times? I want you to quietly, honestly take an assessment of your own life right now. Don't think about your partner next to you or the person that's not here. Oh, he needs to hear this. No, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. And we need to ask ourselves, does this match my life? Is this what I'm characterized by? Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions. You characterized by contentions? Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Is that you? Selfish ambitions. I gotta have it. It's mine. It's mine. Mine. It's me. 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 Selfie. 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 You know. Dissensions. You like to cause discord. Heresies. You like to come up with different doctrines. Envy. Man, it should be mine, not theirs. Murders. Hopefully not. But it's not just physical murder. Jesus upped the ante on that, didn't he? He says, you've heard it of old, said of old, you shall not murder, but I say to you, Jesus' words, if you, you harbor bitterness for a brother in your heart, you've killed him. You've committed murder. If you say raka, or you fool, you've, you've killed him. Are you that person? Is that your character? Revelries and the like. He doesn't give an exhausted list, exhaustive list. He says, and the like. He didn't want to say, this is the exhaustive list. If you can go, hey, I checked off all these, I'm good. But there's some other bad things I'm a part of that, character, that I'm characterized by. Paul puts that little addendum in there. He says, and the like. He says, and the like. That is in there, that little conclusion or that, that little uh, added tale onto what it is that he just listed out as the works of the flesh that are evident. He says, and the like. So understand, anything that is apart from Christ, anything that is of sin, Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. Paul's saying, I told you this, and I'm needing to tell you this again. You need to listen to what I'm saying, Paul says. I told you once, and I'm having to tell you again, listen, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know that that right there is a theological argument for some of you in this room. You go, wait a minute, I accepted Christ, and I do these things, but I accepted Christ one time, and so therefore, I'm going to go to heaven. Hence, we get into a theological debate. And the theological debate that we get into is this. We, we say, okay, wait a minute. So, dang, if, you, if you're a Christian, you can go and do whatever you want, and you can sin at all times, at any time, at any moment, whenever you want, at, at, at every whim that you have, you just go and sin. And at the end of the day, because you went forward one day at a crusade, or you said a prayer that you have an insurance policy that God is now required, He's now bound to give you eternal life. Yet nothing changed in your life. You continue to live after these things. This is who you used to. This is, it's not who you used to be. It's who you used to be and continue to, to still be. Paul says, don't fool yourself. When you come to Christ, there has to be a change. There has to be a repentance. That's what repentance is. That's what Paul says, or Peter says, repent therefore. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of, ha- of God is at hand. The word repent literally means to turn a 180 degree direction. You were walking this way. I'm walking towards the deeds of the flesh. I'm turning away from the deeds of the flesh. And now my walk is to be walking away from that. Will I slip and fall? Of course you will. Will I sin? Of course you will. But it's not your character. It's not something that you practice in on a day-by-day basis. And so Paul says, listen, those who practice, 
practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That, if you have found yourself in this, and I've asked you to to ask yourself personally and take a very honest assessment of your life, and if you ask yourself, does this characterize my life? I have to say, if that doesn't strike fear into your heart, that Paul says that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and yet you're justifying in your life going, well, wait a minute, I heard Billy Graham say one time, and by the way, he doesn't believe what you think he says. I know that. He doesn't believe that if you said a prayer, a, a, a flippant prayer, that, that that gives you an insurance policy for the rest of your life because nothing ever changed in your life. You never really repented. You repented that day. You said something that day, but you never allowed it to appropriate into your life. Nothing ever changed in your life. You just continued to be the person that you lived according to the flesh. And so here's the thing. You might say, well, Billy Graham says, if I said this prayer, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, your misunderstanding of Billy Graham is one thing. But, but even if he, Billy Graham did say that, I will say that the Apostle Paul, which probably trumps Billy Graham, says, no, that isn't how it works. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? If you don't practice, if you're not inheriting the kingdom of God, remember we talked about this, we started at this at the very beginning, and that is this, listen, you are either serving Satan or you're serving God. What does that mean? There are, there's only a black and a white, guys. There's only two destinations. There's heaven, there's hell. When you die, there's either heaven or there's hell. You are going to go to one of those places. You're either going to a smoking room or a non-smoking room. Right? You and I are going to one location, one of two locations. You can't go to a third location. I, the, the, I don't believe that there's a heaven or a hell. There isn't a location called that. There's either a heaven or there is hell. And the question is, where are you going? The question is this, is this your life? Do you practice these things? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, envy or dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which Paul says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so as we're sitting here and you're going, well, wait a minute. So I got a problem. What you're telling me is that I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to tell you I don't know if you're going to heaven. I know that Paul says if you practice those things, you're not. If that's who you are characterized by, if that's what you practice in and you find yourself okay to do these things... Uh, Paul's saying, you aren't going to heaven. Well, then what about my pastor back when I was in third grade or the Sunday school teacher that told me such and such? I, I, I don't know. All I'm saying is that you'd have one thing and you have not the assurance of salvation right now. Turn your life around, man. That's what Paul's trying to say. That's what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you, he, he made a live you once were dead in trespasses and sins. You did once walk according to the weather vane of this world. You did once walk according to the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, the spirit who now works or energizes the sons of, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we also all, once conducted ourselves in lust of our fulfilling the desires of the flesh. I'm back in Ephesians chapter 2, by the way. And of the mind. Not just of the flesh did we practice these things, but even in the mind. We were nature, by nature children of wrath just as the others. And then he goes, but God. And that's what, that's, what Peter, or that's what Kevin said last week, isn't it? Kevin said, what a glorious statement we have there in verse, verse 4. But God. But God. There's a contrast there. He says, this is who you used to be, but God took a step. He stepped in and he said, that's not who you are going to be ever again. That's not you anymore. That's not you anymore. That's who you used to be. But that's not who you are anymore. If you find yourself in, a fe- in Galatians chapter 5, in verses 19 through 21, and you say, hey man, this is who my life is. This is what I'm characterized by. You know what you need to do? You need to get on your face and you need to repent. You need to ask God to change your heart. You need to ask God to change your life. You need to ask God to give you direction and give wisdom and give discernment to you to know how to walk this life that that is no longer a characterization of you, but that is a, 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 a slip. It's an exception and not the rule. 
Falling in sin is an exception and not the rule. So as a Christian, we once we know that we once were a property of Satan, but Jesus paid the ransom for the right to our soul. I've got to hurry. And when he hung on a cross in our place, and Jesus shed his blood on our behalf, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, you can jot this down, don't have time to look it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You ever think about that? The Holy Spirit is in you. Know this, that if you found yourself in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, know this, that wherever you go, where, whatever you watch, whatever internet you turn on, or whatever sin you indulge in, know this, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you where you go. You're taking the Holy Spirit in that place. Should make us a little, you know, uneasy, right? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not even your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, knowing that you were bought with a price, what price did God pay for your soul? Anyone? Huh? His son. What from his son paid for your the blood? The blood of Christ. Look at what it says. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. God didn't buy you with silver and gold. From your aimless conduct, he, he, he redeemed you from your aimless conduct. He re- received by your traditions of your fathers. He didn't do any of that. He didn't buy you through tradition. He didn't buy you through silver and, and dollars or silver and gold. He didn't do, you know, uh, redeem you through any financial or monetary thing or any philosophical thing or any traditional thing handed down. No. Verse 19 says, He bought you with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so, gang, listen, if we're purchased and redeemed from Satan by God through Jesus Christ, then we're no longer indebted to the world. We're no longer indebted to Satan. We're no longer indebted even to ourselves, which is a form of the unholy trinity, isn't it? The world, Satan, and ourselves. But we are now indebted to God to live our lives for him and not for ourselves. I can think of no worse condition for a believer than to give their heart to Jesus, but to continue to live their life for themselves. If you're a miserable Christian today, I will say this, I will ask you, go home and look in a mirror, or maybe before you leave this place, sit down in a seat and bury your hands in your head and ask, am I living for me or am I living for God? Because the most depressed Christians are the ones that live for themselves. You know why? Because you have no purpose. The purpose is to live for you, to fulfill your needs to fulfill your desires, to fill your wants. But when all of a sudden you realize that, man, when I came to Christ, I willingly offered my life to him. I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Galatians chapter 2, doesn't he? It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now, anything I do for self now is wrong. Anything I do for self is, is moot. It's flesh, it's wood, it's hay, it's stubble, it's going to be burnt up. But the things that I do for the Lord, gold, jewels, and precious gems, it's going to last through the fire of judgment. It's going to last because I'm doing something for the Lord. I'm living for Him. If I sang the song right now, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingled, belling, and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What season am I talking about? It's football season. Come on, guys. It's the best time of the year. It's football. It's not Christmas. Come on. Football. Okay, Christmas is coming, but it's football. All right? Football season. It's football season. Listen, it's a good time of the year. Okay, all the gals are going, my wife is really, and all the guys are going, yeah, preach it, man, preach it. Listen, listen. it's an illustration, guys. Run with me here for a second. 
in light of this hap, happiest time of the year, right? Let's say a player from the Cleveland Browns gets traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, okay? One day he's playing and he's committed to the Cleveland Browns, but the next day the Bucks they pay a price to bring him to Tampa. Would you expect that Cleveland Brown player who now is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer to continue to be committed to the Browns after the trade? Number one, I, I would wonder why anybody would want to be committed to Cleveland anyways when you could be committed to Tampa. Yeah, I mean, come on, right, right, right? I mean, we live in Tampa. Right? We live in the, 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 the South Florida region. We don't live in Cleveland, Ohio for a reason, right? Okay, listen. Let's say this guy's a running back. Yesterday, he was a running back for the Cleveland Browns. This week, he's a, a running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These two teams happen to play each other this, this week, say. They don't, but let's say they play each other this week. Would you expect, if he's out there to run with the ball, would you expect that running back that's now playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just a couple of days ago was playing for the Cleveland Browns, would you expect when the quarterback hands off, when Jameis hands off to this running back, would you expect him to plant his foot in the ground in the backfield, turn around, and run the opposite direction towards the Cleveland Browns goal line? I think not. I mean, that really has happened one time, and it happened one time just because he, did not, he, he just got mixed up where he got the ball. The guy's name was Jim Marshall. Minnesota Viking, many, many years ago, back in the 60s, early 70s, he got a fumble. He was a defensive lineman, picks up the fumble, and he got turned around, and he starts running the opposite way. And the players from the team that, you know, his opponents are running next to him, you know? They're running. They're not tackling him. He's running the wrong way. His other players are going, no, 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 and they're running towards him. And Jim Marshall, he's running down. He's going, man, look at me. It's like 60 yards he runs. Big defensive lumbering lineman runs down. He's going, look at me, everyone. He's running down. He's just free and everything. He crosses the goal line, throws the ball up in the air and jumps up. And all his players go up and go, what are you doing? And, and you go back and look at it on Google. He'll go, oh, no, he ran the wrong way. The guy was a phenomenal player. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. But, but he got mixed up on that play. Forever will go down on running the wrong way. But you know what? Here's what happened. His opponents ran over while he was in the end zone and patted him on the back and go, yeah! Uh, why? Because he ran the wrong way. He was running for the wrong team. Here's the thing, guys. We became a Christian. We were purchased at a great expense from God, the very blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our former team was with Satan. Shall we continue to devote ourselves to the things of the course of this world? Shall we continue to, to live ourselves for me, myself, and I, for the Satan, the world, and myself? These, these unholy trinities, should we be running after and living ourselves for our former team? Or should we consider, hey, my life has been purchased. Now I'm living I'm owned by the Lord. I, I live for the Lord. From this day forward, I, I live for the Lord. This is what caused, has caused so many Christians to flounder and be so ineffective and even spiritually depressed because they're not living for what they were purchased for. If, you, if that's you today, and you've recognized, and I'm out of time, so I'll, I'll pick it up here next week. But here's the thing. If, if you are here today, and today you've seen yourself in Galatians chapter 5, and you went, uh-oh, that has kind of frightened me a little bit. That's freaked me out a little bit, because you know what? I do do those things. And by the way, you might go, well, I, I've not done all those things. Those, those, those aren't me. You know, Paul gives a list much like that in Romans chapter 1. And not to make any of you uncomfortable, but to make you uncomfortable, if that's your life. Paul says this, he says, listen, those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only who do the, thing, do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so you might, you might pat yourself on the back and go, oh, wow, I'm good, I'm good with all those things, but do you 
approve of those who do do these things? Do you go, hey man, it's okay. It's all right. Do you watch the movies that go with it? Do you, do you, do you, do you enjoy other people's sin and you kind of live vicariously through them? Paul says, man, you're just as bad. You're just as bad. Which should cause us to take a very hard, strong look at our life and say, wait a minute. You know, when all is said and done, every person's life is going to be looking at God and going, God, save me. Think about it. You're flying in an airplane and the hole rips apart and you're falling out of the airplane. Now, from 30,000 feet or whatever, maybe it's not 30,000 feet, you're going to die immediately. So don't worry about that. You're going to die of oxygen and freezing and all that stuff. So you're going to die real quick. But let's say you don't. You got about, you know, what, 30 seconds before you hit the ground? 45 seconds? As you're coming down out of the air, what are you, what are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? I think you're probably crying out for God. I think most people would be crying out for God. It reminds me of the story of the guy that fell out of an airplane much like that. He's fallen out of the airplane. He's fallen screaming towards the ground. And he goes, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I've blown it so much in my life. God, save me, save me, save me. God, please, please, just save me. I'll give you my life. God, save me. Save me, please, God. And, and, and as he's falling and he's nearing the ground, he's, he's about a thousand feet off the ground. All of a sudden, this, this invisible hand, it's almost like he could see it, he could feel it, but like this big hand comes out and just, boom, boom, boom. And he just stops. He just is suspended in midair. And he just feels like, I'm in the palm of a hand. I cried out to God. And all of a sudden, he, he looks around and he gathers his senses and he goes, oh, thank you, Buddha. And the hand goes, I'm just joking. That was a stupid joke, all right? Here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just leaving you with that. You're going to tell that joke to somebody, I promise. And you're going to do it better than I do. I promise that too. But here's the thing. If you're falling and you're coming out of the air and, and you go, man, I, I really wish I would have, have, have done more, you know, I, I really wish I would have indulged more in sinful things in my life. I really wish I would have lived higher on the hog. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done... Here's the thing. No, you're going to be crying out for God saying, God, save me. Or God, forgive me. God, help me. Or God... God's going to be one of your words. Jesus might be one of your words. Budweiser probably won't be one of your words. Living for you is not going to be one of your words. Come down to it. I remember back in 2001, September 11th, our government, which is very God-hostile right now. Those of you who remember back at that time when that happened, you remember the same congressmen that were fighting to get prayer out of schools, prayer out of government buildings. All of a sudden, when we felt threatened, when we saw that we were unsure of our own ability to, to, to safeguard our own borders because airliners have been used as missiles to kill and attack the United States. We have congressmen that were formerly fighting tooth and nail to their last breath to get God away from all things. They had no problem coming out on the steps of the Capitol building, banding together and saying, singing, God bless America and praying out God and entreating on God to save our land and protect our land, all of a sudden, when everything came down to it, all of the nonsense, things that have nothing to do with God, they all just faded into the background. Not one of those guys were fighting that fight right then, were they? No, those who were fighting most vehemently were actually out there joined in. God bless America. I don't want to die. Land that I love. I don't want to die. Stand beside her. I know I've been fighting against you. And guide her. I've been kicking you out of public schools and out of government. Through the light and the light up above. I've been getting the Ten Commandments out of the buildings. Listen, they're praying to God. Did God hear him? I think he did. I, I believe he did. I think that was a genuine prayer. 
But when everything started to get comfortable and we got, oh, wait, 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 we got it, we got it. Oh, we got these guys covered. We're now protected. We're protected again. Let's go back to our old ways. Let's fight tooth and nail to get God out of here again. Don't follow after that, man. When all said and done, you're going to be standing, every one of us are going to be standing before God. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You aren't going to have your friends next to you. You aren't going to have your mom and dad next to you. You aren't going to have any of your you know, friends that you so desperately want to accept you in life. They're not going to be standing next to you. The only one you're going to be worried about accepting you is the one that is sitting there judging your eternal life. Why not take care of that now? Why not live for him today? Why not be able to, at the end of your life, go, hey, you know what? I live for the Lord. You know, in the many years that I've been walking with the Lord and, and living for the Lord and been in ministry, I've been, ministry, I've been in, in full-time ministry since about 1992. 1991, 1990, 1991, no, 1988. I've been in actually paid ministry about 1992. Well, I say paid ministry. I mean, that's not what ministry is about. Listen, ministry is not about being paid. I'm going to get paid here right now. It's not what it's about. It's about souls, man. It's about lives. It's about you. I love you. I want to handle you guys right. I want to, I want to point you to Jesus. I want you to, at the very end of your life, I know that it's late right now, but I want you to know that at the end of your life, you know, you might leave after this week. You might not ever come back. It happens. It's happened to me since I've been here in 1996. I've had, you know, some of you who have been here, which is only a very small handful that have been here since around that time. You've seen people come and go. We've had crowds like this all along. But guess what? We never really grow in it much bigger than this crowd. People come, people go. And some of those lives I look at and I see them and I run into them and I see that some of their lives are just in catastrophe right now. They aren't walking with the Lord. They've just chucked their faith. You know what that does to me? <laughs> I, I don't just study to, to, to come up here and give a, a message to, so that we can check something off our Bible. I do this because I really, truly love you guys. And I, I want us to be in heaven together, man. I believe what this Bible says. I believe with every ounce of my being what this Bible says. I want you to be in heaven. I want us to be in heaven together. There's no other life worth living. There, there's no other life worth living, guys. The world is out there to rob us. It's ripping us off. And I know that there are those that are sitting in the room right now. You're hearing this. And maybe five years from now, you're going to be walked. You're going to walk away from the Lord. You can just chuck everything in. It grieves my heart, man, because you can hear messages like this, and something doesn't change. I want you to change. I want your life to be right with God. There's no other ambition in life greater than this, than to please God. I don't just say that because that's what I'm supposed to say. I'm not even paid to say this. This is what God wants me to share with you. That's, I can't more passionately say that to you. I love you and I want you to, I want you to be right with God. And I don't want you to keep getting ripped off from the world. I want you to be with the Lord. I want you to have assurance of salvation. I want you to look at Ephesians or in, a, in a Galatians chapter 5 and go, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not me. I'm with the Lord, man. I'm doing, I, I might not be, per, I am not perfect. I may not be everything that God wants me to be, but God, thank God that I'm not who I used to be. He's doing a change in me. I'm letting him do a change on a day-by-day -day basis. Let that be of you. It'll be said of you. Let that be your life. Grow every single day in Christ. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop. People, Christians are just chucking it in by the droves right now, going, ah, it's too hard. The whole world, they're, they're, the whole course of the world, especially our nation, is just chucking it in. 
And Christians are falling into the trap going, man, it's just too hard to be a Christian today. Don't ever give up. I don't care how hard it gets. Don't ever give up. Don't chuck your faith, man. Don't chuck Christ. It would be the worst decision you're ever going to have because one day you're going to be standing before God and you're going to go, oh God, why did I listen to the world? Why was I more concerned with what the world wanted me to do than what I was concerned about what you wanted me to do? Man, the only thing that's going to matter in that day is what the ultimate judge is going to talk about. Will he be your judge or will he be your savior? Who will you live for today? It's up to you. Father, thank you so much for today. And I know, Lord, this is it's heavy. I know it is. God, it's getting so hard. And yet it's not. We make it hard because of the temptations that are out there amongst us. We make it hard because we are more interested in what other people think of us than what you think of us. God, help us to be more interested in you. Trusting that you're going to see us through even in the hard times, when I, when, I, I, when I don't feel like taking another step forward, God, be there to give us the strength to move our foot forward. God, help us not to backslide as Christians in this room or those who are listening to this message. God, help us not to chuck our faith in. Let us not be those who, who fall away because the heat gets intense, because the cares of this world come in and crowd out the good seed. Or because the enemy comes and plucks the seed that you have planted in our heart away. But God, help us to be on the good soil where we can grow our roots down deep and we can grow up nice, luscious plants for you to be used by you, to be ministering to the world around us. God, that you would use us to minister for you. That one day when we see you face to face, which we will, We will hear the words out of your mouth. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Enter into the joy of your rest. Prepared from the foundations of the world. When my son came home, he prepared a place for you as he promised. For in my house are many mansions, he said to you. He said, I'm not lying to you. He said that he was going to go away and he was going to prepare a place for you and he has and he did and you are going to enjoy. You are going to be blessed. The sufferings that you encountered on the earth were nothing compared to what you're about to experience right now. Enter into the joy of your rest, my child. Thank you for loving me more than anything else. Thank you for fulfilling my role in your life. Thank you for touching people for me. Thank you for pointing people to the way of salvation. Thank you for pointing people away from the prison of death and sin. Thank you for unlocking prisons of the captives of this world. You set him free by my son because you were willing to be unpopular. You were willing to take to say the hard things. You were willing to open your mouth where no one else would. Well done. Well done, my child. I am so proud of you. Enter into the joy of your rest. May that be said of every single person in the earshot of this message right now. And if that's not us right now, Lord, forgive us. We repent. We turn away from our evil ways. We want to follow you. Today is a new day. You have set me free from these things, Lord. Now, help me to walk out of this building in a newfound purpose and a new life. Help me to please you in my life that I walk from this day forward. Because one day soon, I'm going to see you face to face. And I want to hear those great words. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you for restoration and renewal. Today, from this day forward, I choose, Lord, to follow you and your ways. 
and not be influenced by the world any longer. And God, when I start to go back down roads that I shouldn't be going down, God, open my eyes to it and help me to cry out to you and run to you as hard as I can and cling to you for my very life. God, please let it be that I live for you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen.